Amen. I think the Lord is with us this morning. Amen. I think he's always with us, but I think he's especially with us this morning. Today we are, we're continuing in this series that we've been in for a while. We are kind of nearing the end, coming towards the end of the middle section of our We Are series, talking about how we are finding family. So over the last few weeks, we started off in this section of the series talking about how if we are finding family as followers of Jesus, that means we are growing disciples. There's actually a way that we live and there's a people that we live out that way with, that we don't just gain some knowledge, but that we grow and we learn more deeply what it means to live in the way of Jesus. And last week, Tanner did an awesome job talking to us about how if we're growing disciples, then that means we are making disciples. We are teaching what Jesus taught us through our lives, through our homes, around our dinner tables, at our workplaces, through the way we love and show care and the words that we speak to the people around us. And today, the big idea is that if we are people who are finding family as followers of Jesus at the fold, then that means we are people who have to, like, have to actually live as family outside of our biological families. That we actually have to live as what we might call a devoted family as a community. Sound good? Cool, because we're going there whether it sounds good or not. Um, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 5. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. But while you're turning there, I, I just want to say this. You might notice as we're going through this series that we're spending a lot of time on finding home. And we will spend a lot of time on finding purpose. But in terms of weeks, we will spend less time on what it means to find family. And here's why that is. Because as far as explanation, the finding family per- portion is less complicated. It's not as hard to explain what it means for us to find family and to live in community. But as far as application, the finding family portion might be the most complicated. Because if you just look at the world around us, if you look at organizations, you look at movements, you look at culture, you look at churches, you find a lot of finding home language. You are welcome here, you're accepted, you are loved just as you are. And you find a lot of finding purpose language. You have a voice you have something to say, you can make a difference. But what we don't always find a lot of is finding family language. You can call me at 3 a.m. when something's going wrong. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Bear with one another and forgive one another. In our world and in our culture, we have a lot more, you are accepted here no matter what, and also cut off the toxic people. But not a whole lot of bear with one another, forgive one another, be there for one another, call one another in the middle of the night, family. Make sense? So that's where we're going today. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Paul wrote the book of Colossians, and he says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is... Is coming. Another way you can translate that verse is because of these things, the wrath of God has come. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. 
Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Let's pray. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that we need you and we have you because you have given yourself to us. Today, as we open your word, we ask that we would be formed more deeply into your likeness. God, today we ask that those of us who are wrestling with what it would even mean to follow you, we would see it more clearly that those of us who are wrestling with a sin or struggle, that those of us who feel distant and unwelcomed, that we would find welcome, that we would see you more deeply, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And Jesus, anything that I say that's from me, let it be noticed and rejected. But if there's anything that I say today that's faithful to your word and consistent with your truth, then let it echo in our hearts that we would become like you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Here's something that will not be surprising to anyone. We live in a very divided culture. Have you noticed? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. We live in an extremely divided culture. We live in a culture that's pretty safe to say, um, if we are not more divided, we are at least as divided as we have been. At any other point. And we're divided about everything. Have any of you tried to like make a new friend lately? Have you noticed how hard that is? To like make a new friend? Have you done that social dance where you like you've got your opinions. But you make like a really soft joke about it. To see if everybody's cool. You know what I mean? You're like politics. You know. And then you look around and read everybody's faces. Right? Because it feels like everything is a hot take right now. Like any opinion you have could offend somebody. Like, hey, would you like a Tylenol? Oh, no, an essential oil? I'm sorry. I'd never poison my body either. My goodness. Um, you know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> some people are like never coming back now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We keep both at our house. We've got Tylenol and essential oils. We're inclusive. <laughs> It's like everything, like the only non-controversial opinion right now is Bluey, amen? Like nobody hates Bluey, and if you do, don't tell me. I don't want to hear about it. We're just, it's, it is such, it's such a divided world that we live in. And it's funny, but it's also not funny. Because we've all got things that we don't say around certain people, right? We've all got things that we really believe strongly. 
And we've probably got friends that don't know we believe it. Because what might happen? Right? And, and some of that is normal, right? It's probably wise to not bring up politics at Thanksgiving because peace is better than an argument, right? If you know it's not going to be a fruitful conversation. But man, that really easily turns into, I've got this version of myself and I've got this version of myself. And some people know this version and some people know that version. And some of us don't do that. We just don't have a problem bulldozing people. And that's another thing for a different sermon. But have you ever seen a work friend outside of work and you've never hung out with them outside of work and then you see them and it feels like two worlds collide? It feels like a different part of yourself is all of a sudden present. You're like, oh, I didn't know we both like golf. Like, you know, we live in a divided world. We've got a work life that's not supposed to affect our home life. And we've got a home life that's certainly not supposed to get in the way of work life. Right? We've got people that believe one thing and people that believe the other thing, people that we align with and people that we don't. You can walk into a room and sometimes you look at what people are wearing and you've got a pretty good idea of how they're going to feel about your hot takes. You ever done that, right? Like the color of a trucker hat can tell you a whole lot about somebody now, which is strange, right? Interestingly enough, Paul talks about all of these things that we're supposed to change, we're supposed to let go of. And right in the middle of this, what he says is, here... When he says here, he means in the body of Christ. So he's talking to Christians. He says here, there is no Jew or Gentile. That would have been a dividing point of the original culture. The Jewish people would have been living with a moral code that would have been very similar to the Christians for most of their lives. Where the Gentiles, probably the day before, would have done things that a Jewish person would have never imagined. That would have been a dividing line. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. If you read the book of Galatians, dividing line. No barbarian, Scythian, no slave or free. These were all points of contention in culture. Barbarians and Scythians were something you didn't want to get called in the Roman world. Right in the middle of this, what Paul tells us is that we have unity. Why? Because it's really, really hard to hold malice and bitterness against someone when you believe that Christ is in all and is all. It's really, really hard to objectify someone with lust and immorality when you're also believing that that person is made in the image of God and invited into the kingdom of God, right? Unity actually becomes a formative practice. And it's worth saying that unity does not mean uniformity. Paul is not saying that in our unity we reject cultural identity. What he's saying is that in our unity, cultural identity doesn't create division. Does that make sense? There's a big difference. God celebrates diversity, but diversity is different than division, right? Unity is a formative practice. The fact that in this place, all of the things that could cause us to look down on one another, that we could use to evaluate one another and create distance, that those things aren't true here, is a formational practice for followers of Jesus. Because it helps us take off the old life and put on the new, because it's impossible to sin in a vacuum. Sin is always a communal thing. 
Sin always hurts other people. So when you're viewing Christ and other people just like yourself, it's harder to sin in such a way that would hurt them. Make sense? But that's, that's not the only thing that we have to talk about here. Because we live in a world of cultural divisions, but that culture, that, those opinion divisions, lead very easily to inner division. Like we said earlier, there's a version of myself that you can see, and there's a version of myself that you can't see. I've got a work me. I've got a Friday night me. I've got a home with the family me. And I've got a version of myself that none of you can ever see. We live with inner division. Things that are acceptable in some circles and things that we hope no one ever asks us about. Things that we really hope the guy doesn't preach about this Sunday. Things that are just for us. And because of that, I would wager that when we read a passage like this, our natural inclination is to read verses 5 through 9 or so, where he says, put aside lust, sexual impropriety, immorality, greed, and then anger, bitterness, where he tells us all these things we're not supposed to do. I would venture to say that we read those passages and we imagine that that is what I do inside on my own so that I can reap the benefits of community. We hear this and we think, I have to take care of my anger. I have to take care of my lust. If I do that, then I can be present in the community and be in a forgiving, loving, admonishing, compassionate community. Does that make sense? So we imagine that I have to get my inner world right so that then I can have this outer world of community. But here's the thing. We did a whole series about this in the fall. When the Bible says you, it usually means y'all. The entire book of Colossians is written to a community. So Paul wasn't saying, Jack, fix your malice so that the church can live in compassion. He was saying, the fold puts aside malice so that the fold can live in compassion, admonishing, teaching, forgiving one another, bearing with one another. You see what I mean? It's a communal activity. Let me put this as clearly as I can. All of who you are is welcome here because we change together as a community. It is actually in, the Holy Spirit uses the family practice of a Christian community to form our hearts, to help us put off the old life and take on the new. I would venture to say that some of us have spent much of our Christian life looking at lists like this and thinking, how am I ever going to be part of a community? Because I can't get this stuff taken care of. I still have all this stuff. And we have actually felt distant from the community because we haven't gotten our inner life right. When what Paul was telling us was bring all of you into the community because being present in the community and honest and open, experiencing compassion and humility and forgiveness and love and bearing with one another and admonishing and teaching and singing together, all of those things actually help you put off what you need to put off and take on what you need to take on. Does this make sense? Not only is preaching, teaching, giving generosity a communal practice, transformation is a communal practice. I am transformed through the Holy Spirit in Landon. 
I am transformed through the Holy Spirit in Judith. I am transformed. We are transformed together as we practice what it means to be a devoted family. These things that a lot of Bible teachers and such, they refer to passages like this as the one another passages. There are places in the New Testament specifically where we are told how to treat one another. And as we live like this with one another, we are empowered to take off the old self and put on the new but it only happens when I'm willing to be fully present in community. It doesn't happen while I'm holding part of myself back, hoping that I get it taken care of so that eventually I can be fully present. It doesn't work like that. Now, I could spend the next like 20 minutes telling you all the reasons why I think that's true. I don't think that would be helpful today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the rest of the time this morning um, talking with Chelsea, Arrington, our counselor on staff, and we're going to just talk about, she and I are going to talk about where we find the world of mental health actually affirming what we see in scripture about how transformation happens. Help me welcome Chelsea. Yeah, you guys don't clap when I come up here. (laughs) And here's what you're going to notice while Chelsea's getting ready. What you're going to notice is a lot of times... What we find is that the things taught in the scripture, when we view them correctly, are actually confirmed by the world of mental health. We know now through brain science what Paul knew through the spirit a couple thousand years ago. And as we faithfully follow Jesus, we actually step into things that emotionally and spiritually form us, right? Awesome. So the questions we're going to discuss are going to be up on the screen, and I'm going to ask Chelsea each question, and we're going to kind of just go back and forth and discuss these together. Sound good? Sweet. We're going to do it no matter what. Uh, (laughs) So, all right. The first question, I didn't write them down, so... I believe you. I I can read it. They're back there. I can see them on that one. All right. Okay. Uh oh. Waiting for connection. All right, I can see them back there. We'll go ahead and ask. They'll be up there eventually. It's fine. All right, so Chelsea, from a mental health perspective, how does a person actually find change in our sinful or negative behaviors, or really in life in general? How do we actually change? Yeah, so from a mental health side of things, there are lots of methods and methodologies and Uh, different forms by which counselors or therapists would do this, but a lot of them all agree, maybe not all, that's probably a stretch, but most would agree that it starts in your thought life. Um, It starts in how you think about things and whether your thoughts are true or they just feel true or are you living in the future, the past, or the present, those kinds of things. Uh, But really regardless of what form you're really thinking about, I think the biggest thing is that it takes concerted effort. Um, if, if you've ever tried to start or stop something, some habit or something, it's really hard. It's really hard. And I think when it comes to, you know, sinful or negative behavior, um, those are things that are not only hard, but they're natural within us. So it's that much more effort to acknowledge that I have, something that needs to change and then actually do something about it. Mm -hmm. I was 
curious, how many of you guys have ever heard, you know, it takes 21 days to break a habit or form a habit? Most of us have heard that. So I looked this up because I am not really good at forming or breaking habits, just to be honest with you. So um, it is between the length of time for an average person. It's between 18 and 254 days. Not exactly 21, so, um, but we're not going to stay there. So that's, uh, I don't want that to be like, oh, well, I try. But on average, to form or to break a habit, so the, this number is actually the same. It's between nine and 10 weeks, nine and 10 weeks. So for any of us who have ever, um, this isn't necessarily sinful or negative, but if you've ever had a New Year's resolution, and you've wanted to say, yeah, I want to go to the gym more, or I want to try to change the foods that I eat, or something like that. Um, when we, so where are we in them? It's February. February eighteenth. Eighteenth. Yeah, because so of trivia night. That's how I remembered. There we go. Tri- come to trivia tonight. <laughs> um, it's February eighteenth. So we are, what is that? Seven weeks, eight weeks, seven weeks into the year. So if you're trying to create or break a habit that you decided at New Year's, you're still in process, right? You're not necessarily in this new rhythm in some way because it's taking concerted effort. It's taking consistent effort. So I think whatever the means by which it is that you're going about changing, um, I think we could also look and say, you know, addictions are different, right? Addictions are different than habits. Addictions... Um, are formed differently in our brains and habits. These, all of these things take effort and, and energy and attention. Um, they're not just going to happen mm-hmm. by happenstance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you said they start in our thought life, mm-hmm. right? A lot of those things do. One of the things that I have found for, for myself is that I am not objective about my thought life so that if I don't have someone that's safe for me to express my thought life to, then I don't know in my thought life what really needs to change, right? I will believe within myself a horribly negative thing that's true, or I will believe, right? I'll believe at week eight of doing the same thing and not feeling any change that it doesn't work and I should quit, whereas someone in my community will look at this and say, well, you can't see the change, but I actually saw you go to the gym once a week for eight weeks, and I've never seen that before. You're changing, right? So community actually can be a mirror to our thought life. Obviously, that doesn't like, we don't do that with a large group necessarily, but in community, we have trusted relationships within community where we can go to someone and that person becomes the mirror um, to actually help us gain objectivity and figure out what needs to change or see the change and track the change that's happened in our life. Um, yeah, and I think, man, you talk, talking about effort. Um, effort is not very popular in our, commu- in our world today. It's like, it, it, except for like hustle culture. In hustle culture, it's all effort. You know what I mean? Like get up at 7 a.m. and work for... 28 hours and then sleep for a half an hour and then get up and if you don't make your dream happen someone's going to steal it from you but that's not that's not really effort that's like grinding yourself to death um but oftentimes we look for ideas or things that will fix things right like we want we want to hear a sermon that's like here are three ways to change your thought life not here 
you're going to have to have eight weeks of intentional effort with community and accountability, right? But, but effort actually does. Uh, Dallas Willard, um, one of my favorite Christian philosophers and theologians, said, grace is opposed to earning, but not to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. I don't earn the love of Jesus. I don't earn my transformation. But I actually do apply effort towards it because that's part of being human. In the garden, we had work to do that took effort. Right? Yeah, like, so we think about spiritual discipline, right? Discipline, effort, energy. I think even, you know, in reading Paul's words uh, in the text, putting on and taking off is effort, right? It's, we have this image that Paul gives us of taking off all the, the old and putting on all of the new. It's not just a, a picture or something I decide to do. It's effort. It's this picture of doing something um, and doing in community. Moving on to the next question then, in what does the world of mental health tell us about the value of community? It's important. <laughs> Perfect. It's a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's support is paramount to change. Um, you think about, <clears throat> okay, I'm in this gym analogy, so I'm going to stay with it. But as you decide that you want to make a change in your life, such as, eating healthier, being active, something like that. You think about the difference. Maybe you've lived this in your life, or maybe you just can imagine this with me. But the difference between, okay, I'm deciding I'm going to do this for myself, and I'm going to make these changes, or my friend and I, my coworker and I, my neighbor and I are meal planning together. We're going, we're walking around our neighborhood together three times a week. We're doing these things. So one feels much more sustainable because we have this other person who's going to call us or text us or knock on our door when it's time to do this thing we've agreed to do together. So support becomes critical in every area of our life. Um, When I have somebody in my office and we're one of the very first things that I want to know about them when I'm getting to know them is what does support look like in your life? Um, You're here in this room, and so I get to be that person of support, part of that, but I can't be the only one because we need to make sure that we have a collective of people who are caring for us or loving us, and the greater the support system we have, um, the better. It's actually... Research would also show us that the amount of support someone has in their life um, directly impacts whether or not the things that happen in their life are registered as traumatic or not. So when you think about going, um, you know, having having a loss in your family, um, having a, an, a car accident or a work accident, something that you would say, yeah, this was a really big deal and it made life really hard afterward, it's the difference between, but we knew we were going to have food to eat brought to our house. We knew we were going to have people to help watch our kids, or we knew that we were going to have um, people praying over us, supporting us, present in our lives. And it is the difference between um, resilience and not. It's huge. Exactly what Paul is saying here. 
bear with one another, forgive one another, admonish one another, teach one another. It's almost like Paul knows that life is hard. Um, Some people think he wrote this letter from prison, so he had a pretty good idea of life being hard and that we actually do. Once again, like the instructions we have in Scripture, you might not have realized this, but the way we're taught to live, a few weeks ago we talked about how there is a way that we live. There's a way that we exist in the world that's unique as followers of Jesus. The way that we're instructed to live makes us, in terms of our brain science, more resilient to the traumatic things that happen in the world. Like, the instructions of Jesus are instructions for our whole self. Yes, they are about eternal life, being reconciled to God and salvation, but I am a full human being, body, mind, and spirit, right? I'm not a spirit inhabiting a skin suit. I am a human being, which means the instructions of Jesus are actually good for my whole being, right? I become a more resilient person in every way as I live in the one another's, in a devoted family as instructed by Scripture. That's beautiful. Um, so this last question then, I think this is maybe the, the most important question then, is if we know that change requires community and effort, and we know that uh, community is deeply, it's crucial to our well-being, then what is actually required for me as an individual to engage deeply in a community? And that word deeply is really important because we can all engage in a community shallowly, right? We can all go to the gym and have some people we high-five. Um, we can all like have a very shallow community, and we can call that community. In fact, we often do call that community. Well, what we actually mean is we've just got people we joke around with. Um, so deeply in community is the important word in this question. I think we have to know where we are now. Hmm. I think we have to know what does community look like for me. Maybe there isn't any. uh, Or maybe I have that one person that I like to check in with, you know, when I'm at church. Uh, But where am I when it comes to community? How am I already present to community? Maybe I am thinking about a fold group. Maybe I'm in a fold group. Uh, Maybe I have deep relationships, but the level in which I engage with those in this way when it comes to change, there's a barrier there for me. And so I think we have to check in with ourselves and be able to say, yeah, here's where I feel community is lacking. Here's where I feel, I feel filled um, in community or in the support um, of being a part of it together. And then we have to, again, effort. Right, so kind of going back to where we started and and looking at the effort that Paul describes here in putting off and putting on, and we have to decide what does it look like to take a step what is this would be an active question between you and the Holy Spirit, because I think we you and I can decide yeah i'm gonna I'm going to try to do something new or I'm going to try to figure out how to fit something in my schedule or how to talk to this person more often or something like that. Um, But when we know that we are asking something that the Lord deeply wants for us, he's going to show us. He's going to bring that person into your life. He's going to open the door um, to the time that you need to make to create this community because it is his heart's desire for us as his people, um, to have relationship with one another. Um, It is life to us, and he knew that relationship would be life to us. 
So first we have to know where we are, where we're starting. And then I think we have to intentionally say, ask of the Lord. Yeah. Um, what is what is the step that you would have me take? What does it look like to um, to engage deeply? Mm-hmm. How am I engaging now? And what step do you want me to take from here? Yeah, yeah. And just just to reiterate, effort is so important. You know, our, the word that's written on the wall is find community, not buy community, not get community, find community, which means we as a church seek with everything we can to create a space where community is easily found, but you've got to look for it, right? Like I often tell people like, like you've got to treat it like it's a middle school dance and you've just got to be like, hey, will you be my friend? I need a friend. You know what I mean? Like, can we be accountability? Can I tell you everything? Because I really need someone to tell, like, sometimes as an adult, that's what you've got to do. Yeah. Um, but like, like, it takes effort. Community isn't a product. Um, we do not shop around until we find the place that best gives us community. And I want to be careful when I say that, because there are good reasons to leave a church. There are good reasons to join a church, right? Um, but we don't shop around for community. That's not how it works, because there's no place you can show up, and it's just there waiting for you. You have to find it. You have to choose to do the work. And, and if I could be very direct, community requires consistency. Community requires presence. Community requires regularly being in the presence of one another. And I think oftentimes in our culture right now, we wonder why we don't have community when we're not present very often. Um, but presence is required to find deep community, and that, that takes effort. Um, but it is, it is absolutely worth it. That's why it's written on the wall, <laughs> right? It's because we believe that foundational to a life of following Jesus is actually following him with deep community because that's how, that's where, one of the places where we are formed and transformed through the Holy Spirit working in and through one another. So this morning, just as we close, I'm going to invite Jack and Caroline and the band back up. And as we move into worship, I want you to have space to reflect on that question, both of those questions for yourself. Where am I in community? Where am I in relationship? Where am I now? Where am I starting from? And asking of the Lord, where do you want me to be? What does it actually look like to take a step? What does it actually look like to move from where I am to where you would have me be? And so as we worship, I want you to have an opportunity to do that for yourself on your own independently, or maybe a step is literally standing up and coming to pray with someone else. And so there will be some of us here spread around this room for you to engage with a step and that step being prayer uh, for where what God has for you next. What does the answer look like for you? And maybe that is that first step to pray with someone and to say, I don't really know what this looks like, but I can ask this of the Lord alongside somebody in community. And so as we 
move to worship, um, would you join with me in just asking of the Lord together? Father, it is your heart for us. It is your heart for us to have deep-rooted, transformative community. Beautiful community that is unified in your spirit. And so, Father, as we sit in this moment, would you show us where are we now? And what do you have for us? What is the next place that you have? This person to speak with, this group to connect with. Father, we ask that you would speak clearly in this time of worship and that you would give clarity to what is in store. In Jesus' name, amen. As we move to respond, Chelsea and I will be in the front corners of the room. Dennis and Randy are in the back corners of the room. If you would like to pray with someone, you don't have to tell us what. We're happy to just pray for you. We'll be, we'll be ready.